I think that was one of the frustrations for me that built up over the years was that, yeah, of course, the more doors you knock on, the more opportunities you get. And yet it clearly scares a lot of people. You're listening to the Catching Clients podcast, where the smartest minds from the world of professional services and marketing come and share the strategies that they use to consistently attract and catch their ideal big fish clients so you can learn to do the same. So grab your gear and join me, Adam King, the captain at Think Like a Fish and creator of the client catching ecosystem, and let's go fishing. Hello, hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Have you ever asked yourself any of these kinds of questions? Despite all my hard work, how come I'm not breaking through to much higher levels of achievement? Why do I listen to my fears when considering big decisions? Why do I doubt my ability to be, do and have what I really want in life? It drives me nuts. If you have, then you're going to want to pay attention to what my guest today, Matt Anderson, has to say. Matt is a speaker, author and podcaster who at 51 found his true calling in life to help achiever types get out of their own way and take bigger leaps in life. And he did this when he realized that 80% of the thousand plus clients that he had coached in the prior 16 years needed it. And more painfully, so did he. As well as being a repeat speaker at many major international conferences and training multiple sales teams from over 35 countries, Matt is also the author of business bestseller Fearless Referrals, a book which Brian Tracy says teaches you the golden rules for developing a continuous chain of high quality referrals for any product in any business. Now that's high praise indeed. Matt's now working on a new book about getting out of your own way and taking the next big leap because he believes this is the missing piece to the readily available success recipes he and his guests discuss on his podcast, The Road Not Taken, how ordinary people get out of their own way and you can too. It's the combination of practical strategy and mindset that I really find fascinating about Matt's work, and it's why I'm delighted to welcome him onto the show today. So Matt Anderson, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Thank you, Adam. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Now, as I I sort of covered in the intro there, you've got quite a background and, and you've got obviously your expertise and the experience in, in the, the business side of things, but you've moved towards a, a, a sort of different path. Do you want to sort of explain how you got there and, and, and what has led you to taking that decision and, and moving in the way that you are moving now? Yeah. So I worked really, really hard for probably almost 10 years coming up with what I truly still believe is that simplest and most effective way to get referrals, which is how many people get their best business. And, um, you know, and as you mentioned in the introduction, I mean, I've, I have, I've trained people all over the world. I've coached hundreds and hundreds of people and, and, and yet far too few followed through and got the results that they, anyone could get arguably, but most people don't. So I think it was just a, a what for me, it was a, a buildup of frustration over the years as to, as I coached person after person after person. It's just the number of people that wouldn't follow through. And uh, and then at some point I realized that I was just as guilty as everybody else. And it just led to a greater fascination into asking questions, you know, what, why is it that this is the case? You know, really the, the information's out there. So in some ways it's, you know, there really aren't too many secrets about what it takes. So how come most people don't do it? and don't get there that that's what prompted the biggest shift and i realized too you know i've only got so many years left on this planet and i want to come up with better answers for myself as well so do you have a a simple answer for why people don't do what they intend to do 
or is that you know I, I, maybe I'm, I'm teasing that but is, is it such a complicated a complex thing per individual or is there an overarching sort of theme that sort of forms the, the foundation of, of what you do now uh, that is a great question and I know we always want something simple so I think if, if there's if there's simplicity to it I think the ingredients consist essentially of having enough fuel and drive to persevere, which and now that's a meaty subject, but that's, you know, basic piece. I think it's about having a very clear direction, again, which most people don't have. And there is the piece about our brain and our thinking. And whenever I interview people who are very effective in, in any one area, it's not a surprise when you hear them talk about it because the way they look at it is in always a very empowered way, even if it's even if it's full of obstacles. So there's there's no question that you know there's a, there is a significant mental piece to it. Um, and then I think from a practical standpoint, one of the most inspiring things I, I really feel like I've learned in recent months talking to people who have, on I mean, have become world champions in certain things or you know top one percent in in their sales industry nationwide. It is sort of more a philosophy around 1% that, you know, I think to realistically expect to improve the for almost everybody, except perhaps, you know, the Richard Branson's and Elon Musk's of the world, it's doing it incrementally in small pieces, bit by bit by bit. And I think where most people fail is not that they never do that, but that they are too inconsistent with it and that they give up and that they talk themselves out of it. So I, I mean, I think... To keep it simple, I think those are some of the biggest ingredients by far. Yeah, and and I love that whole one percent idea, and it's it's something, isn't it, that the the British cycling team used to become dominant in, in what they do. And I think the Germany football kit, uh, team when they won the World Cup, that's the sort of philosophy that they introduced in in, in how they went from really really not sort of having the success that they were maybe used to to winning the World Cup when they did. And do you find that that's something as well that people look at and think, right, well, there's so much out there that's telling me I can get quick results and fast success and all the rest of it. So they're almost being conditioned to expect such a big leap forward that they look at a 1% improvement as a failure, whereas actual fact, it's, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it, the culture we're living in. You know, it's funny, the number of times I've presented to groups and my sense is often that people come to something like a like you know referral presentation and really in their own minds they just say well Matt just give me the magic word just give me that one line i can use that's going to work amazingly well and transform my business and and while i'm overstating it a bit i do think that there's that temptation as if to say what well, today's going to be christmas day because i'm going to get some great stuff <laughs> and you know, of course, I truly believe I can deliver great wording, but it is a good example because wording in and of itself isn't enough. And I don't buy into too many of the studies about whatever, less than 10% of how we communicate to the words. I think that's complete nonsense. But I do think it's fair to say that there's enough studies that suggest that, you know, over half of how we communicate are not the words we use. It's the tone of our voice, our eye contacted gestures, that all those kinds of things, our body language. So, you know, maybe there's a similar parallel there in terms of expectations. But I do, I think, um, well, and part of it is that the nature of sales language is also to blame. 
So in other words, you know, we're encouraged to have sexy titles for our marketing copy, for our books, for our blog, blog articles and so on, because they catch attention and we're all fighting for attention. So I think that's also part of the beast that we, you know, I'm just as guilty of as anyone else really, because I want people to at least, you know, take a look at what I've got. And if I use language that might be 100% realistic and accurate, you know, full of mites, and this could help if you apply all these qualifications to to what's really true, Um, you know, this could change your life if you do it for the next 12 months consistently, week in, week, you know, that's too long of a sentence, right? So, So I do think it's a great question. I do think it's one of our challenges, yes. It really is a symptom of, I think, the way the world is, the way that um, things like media push things on us in a way. There's that, there's a, uh, that, that saying, the old Fleet Street saying, if it, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. It's always mm-hmm. about, you've, you've almost got to sort of scare people into paying attention because that is evolutionary what we pay attention to. A rustle in the bush, you know, it used to be, well, if that's a saber-toothed tiger, you've got to run. So, you know, that is, that is our evolutionary sort of psychology that is still there within us so that is why we pay attention to that sort of thing but it doesn't mean we like it it doesn't mean we actually enjoy being exposed to that kind of language and and do you find that a lot of the time that maybe that's sort of some of the type of language that people are saying to themselves which are keeping them from making progress Mm. if i'm really honest i've never thought about that one in particular but I, i there's no question there's absolutely no question that when you really listen to what people say as to why they do succeed or are struggling, what they say tells you an enormous amount about what's going through their head on a repetitive basis. Just as an extreme example, my aunt is uh, really depressed at the moment and I guess has been more than I realized as a, as a grown-up. She's almost 18 now. But it's, it was alarming when I talked to her the other day, just listening to the hopelessness in, her, in the words that she was using and because now I'm so used to interviewing people that are extremely effective, I mean, I immediately start thinking, well, no wonder you feel so rotten because the words you're using are, are like you're attacking yourself with the words that you're using. And so it's, it's, I think it's part of that 1% is, again, gradually catching what you're saying to yourself that's not helping and redirecting it. I mean, that's all you can do, really. But I think we're going to be a lot gentler and more effective when we know this, and I actually think it's one of the reasons I suspect podcasts are becoming more popular. And it's certainly one of the things that I've gotten so much from interviewing other people is just what's, what's real in becoming successful because nobody, I mean, once in a blue moon, someone will say, well, I think I was a bit lucky there, you know, like it happened to be in the right place at the right time or the timing was right. I do think that can be a factor, but for the most part, the people to get to the top, I mean, none of them, I mean, it would, it would be absolutely absurd for any of them to have uttered the words. Well, that actually was pretty straightforward. There's really not much for us to talk about today. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think, so I think the more people are exposed to what's true, it, as in through conversations like this, I mean, it is the same for myself. I mean, I, without being immodest, I mean, I had, I had no right, I had no right whatsoever to be on major international stages teaching salespeople how to generate business based on what I grew up with. And I didn't have any sales background whatsoever. So on one level, it was almost kind of bewildering to me, except that, I mean, I spent years of really, really hard work learning how to do it, learning from people who were really good at it. And certainly for many years were a lot better than I was 
reading all the books on the topics. In other words, I studied it intensely, you know, so I'm just saying, so that, again, but it certainly didn't happen quickly. Um, and so I remember the first time I, first time I presented what ended up being my, well, it was a six step process to begin with. And then I made it simpler, but I, I, I still remember this is incredibly embarrassing, but I, I still remember people looking around the room saying, like, who is this guy? Cause I, cause I, I hadn't practiced the process. It was actually a very good process I was presenting, but I hadn't, I hadn't said it out loud to anyone before. So it sounded like I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> and I still remember people exchanging glances and it was so, um, you know, humiliating, I suppose. Um, but my point is, is we all have to go through that process. And, uh, you know, and I mean, again, do you use the, the British cycling metaphor? I mean, reading about David Beckham's another example and practicing his free kicks. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, the number of people that you can draw on for examples like that are endless or people that practice their speeches. I mean, the same with great actors and politicians. I mean, they have to practice these things over and over again. So again, for some reason, it's almost like some, it's almost as if the people at the top are, are laughing at the fact that they know how much hard work it really was. And they're pretending it was relatively straightforward and that they're somehow more naturally talented. And then the rest of us have bought into that somehow. Um, yeah. It's almost like you wouldn't, you wouldn't learn to drive in a Ferrari or a Formula One car, would you? And yet that's, that's some of the expectation maybe that people are being fed by wherever it comes from in terms of this is what you need to do to be successful in business. Because that's an, you know, it's, it's something easy to grasp. It's like, oh, right, I just need to do that tactic. I need to use that tactic because that is inherently easier to grasp than the truth, which is you're going to have to work hard every single day and do things that other people are not prepared to do in order to live a life that others or the majority of people do not get to experience. Because that doesn't sell. Because as you said earlier, it doesn't sound sexy. So how, how do you kind of help people to, first of all, understand that that's the reality? And second, how do you help them sort of work with that reality and transfer it into a way of being and working to transform into the success that, that you help people achieve. Okay. So let me make sure I'm understanding. The first question was, how do you get people to understand that in reality, it's hard work to accomplish what you want? I think that's something you can do on an individual basis, or if people really take the time, because if, I mean, anyone listening to this asks themselves the question, how did I get good at anything, whether it was learning French or playing the piano or anything, any sport, how did I get good at it? And again, another sports metaphor, but I mean, you know, if you learn to play tennis at the age of 11, you certainly weren't playing against, uh, you know, Roger Federer or Serena Williams, right? So, you know, I think, I think most people really do know that from a common sense standpoint, if they actually stop and think about it. So that part maybe isn't so complicated. It's, um, it, but then in terms of turning that into what well, the second question was more on, how do you get people to do that, to do the work consistently? So I think that does go back to the, to the sort of the recipe that I started to present on earlier. I think people have to have the fuel and desire to want to do that. Some people get that from getting clear about their sense of purpose in the world. And that too is a topic that when I ask people how long it took them to come up with their sense of purpose, they, they, they generally suggest it was years and, and it may or may not need to, t to take years, but I certainly think it's something that we probably do have to reflect on and diarize on a, you know, more than once in, in order, in all likelihood to come up with what, really is near and dear to our hearts. But I think that's a key piece. 
Um, so there's the fuel piece. And then there's, so, I mean, I think, yeah, inner work is, is part of this process. People, you know, we need to have a more clear picture about what do we really, really want? Are we chasing what's really important to us? Or, you know, there's the, the notion that we're influenced by other, obviously we're influenced by other people around us. So are we really chasing our goals or someone else's? Are we chasing society's goals? So, so that's another piece where I'm going with this is in other words, in order to be consistent, I think our brain, everything has to be sort of reasonably aligned so that when, so that we will get out of bed day in and day out. And, and so I think it's a combination of things like that. Another thing that you mentioned though, that I think I personally can attest to is having made a big difference. You said that a lot of people are, or that the people that end up becoming very successful in certain areas have been willing to do the things that other people other less successful people have been unwilling to do and so i think one of the most useful things that i would recommend to anyone listening that i did as an action earlier this year was i wrote down the things that i don't like doing and and am uncomfortable doing that i know are good for me and it's funny because that ended up being a really um kind of an epiphany moment for me to sort of list out some of those things and look in the mirror and realize that those were some of my obstacles and that you know again i know it sounds like a cliche but our biggest opportunities are often the things that we're not you know we're uncomfortable doing and so we have to get more comfortable doing those things um so just one more point on this so one of the i interviewed a fear scientist earlier this year on my podcast and she made the brilliant point that the reason why we need to do uncomfortable things you know, often, whatever that means, whether it's three times a week or most days, I mean, obviously we've, we, you know, we, you know, we've got to do it within, within some bounds of uh, not being overly stressed, but at the same time, stretching ourselves. So we're kind of putting ourselves in a state of flow. But anyway, that the reason we do that reg often is because that way we're building, because it's a muscle, it's like a muscle. And the more you build up the muscle is stronger, but also then when that big opportunity does come and, and they do come, I think for just about everybody, big opportunities come. It's just that often they look like really hard work or we don't, or they're too scary. So we ignore them. But point is, is when that comes along, because we've got, you know, more, more muscle around it, we're much more likely to take that leap. And that's one of the things that's become incredibly near and dear to my heart. And yes, fine, because I'm now 52, but also just all, when I think of all the hundreds and hundreds of people I've coached, many of whom they, they, they were equipped with the skills business-wise, sales-wise to generate more business. And yet they still didn't do those uncomfortable things. So even from a referral standpoint, in other words, ask people that could open bigger and better doors, like that's intimidating to most people on the planet out of the comfort zone, but that's precisely needs to be part of that process if we actually want to grow. So I know it sounds like a really long-winded answer, but I think, um, you know, so you know, it's really accepting consistency. It's, it's listening to the voice in our head that wants us to be better rather than listening to the voice in our head that says, oh, bugger that, I can't be bothered today, right? That, I mean, that, honestly, that's a really, I found that incredibly helpful distinction, especially when I'm trying to get out of bed early in the morning. You know, remind myself, Matt, listen to that voice that wants you to be better, please. And it works often. Um, so, so that distinction and then combining it with doing more uncomfortable things and again, 1% a day or certainly a week, bit by bit, you're going to get more traction and you, you'll see you're making more progress. I mean, the fact that that depth of answer is required to answer questions on, you know, what, you know, essentially what, what people struggle with and how, how can they get past it shows that this isn't a simple answer because 
we're, we're human beings and we're not simple creatures on the surface we are, but re- really deep down, we're very complex. And there were so many things in there, you know, that I, I picked out the word flow, for example. And I think that is something that is, it, it's, it's so important that if you are able to spend more time in the place that really, really excites you and brings you to life, that is when you're going to get your best results, no matter, you know, whatever it is you're doing. So that doesn't though mean that you shouldn't be in the parts that make you feel not in that flow state because you, you, you are able to get yourself in that flow state in other things, but you're going to need to put in the effort because you're in your flow state because you're passionate or you're skilled in that, but you didn't get there overnight. And we forget that. There's that book by Stephen Kotler, I think, The Rise of Superman, which talks about that sort of flow state. It's a fantastic book. It's all about extreme sports athletes and how they have pushed boundaries of the sport simply because they're able to get in that flow state almost at will. And as business owners, I think that it's important to sort of take those learnings and think, right, okay, how can we use that and use the kind of things that you help people with, Matt? Because that's going to be where that compounding over time adds up to a rather big, big, huge, you know, exponential improvement. So what I want to do is, is I want to take a bit of a break here quickly, and then we'll come back um, where I'm going to sort of dig into a little bit more. And then we'll, we'll come on to some of the, the practical side of things, maybe that, um, you know, people can use when it comes to referrals. So we'll, we'll speak to you when we come back. Hey, this is Adam, and I just want to say thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Client Catching Podcast. Now, as the entire goal of this is to help you learn how to attract and catch more clients, I've put together a page as a special thank you for being a listener to the show. On this page, you're going to find a ton of resources from some of my best trainings that I've put out there. Uh, You'll be able to get a copy of my book, How to Employ a Half a Million Pound a Year Marketing Department Without Hiring a Single Full-Time Member of Staff. You'll be able to see how to join the Catching Clients Facebook community, and you'll also be able to register onto my masterclass, Less Selling, More Clients. Now, on this masterclass, you will learn how to build your very own client catching ecosystem. And that's an ecosystem that removes you from up to 90% of your marketing and sales process, instantly boosts your authority, while at the same time increases the quality of leads, appointments, and clients that you attract and catch. And that's all without spending a penny on advertising and we're adding more hours to your week. So if you want to go and see what's on that page, you can go to www.thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. So thanks again for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Now, Matt, we've covered a lot of stuff there. Would you speak to the importance of discipline in getting past some of the obstacles that you have? And maybe a bit around daily structure or daily habit and how important that is. Absolutely. So well, it reminds me of Stephen Covey, what he used to talk about in terms of putting the big rocks in your jar and your kind of diary for the week. And so I think one of the, the starting actions from a practical standpoint is to identify what are the really important habits I need on a weekly and potentially daily basis whether that's making a certain number of outreach calls or emails or, you know, marketing pieces, but, you know, so there's business prospecting activity, obviously that, you know, we need, you know, what needs to be done on, and it might even be a monthly basis as well. Some, some things, but you know, so that's kind of part of the daily discipline. I think uh, part of it is 
we were just talking about it before the break is what is it that, you know, getting in a flow state is, is something you get when you're doing work that you love to do and are really good at. So I think part of the process then is making sure you have more clarity about what is it that you are really, really good at um, and love to do, because clearly you want to be doing that more. And I would argue, you know, if at all possible, doing it at the beginning of the day. So the idea is, you know, from a discipline standpoint is do, you know, do things when your energy is at its highest and your mental clarity is at its best. So leveraging some of those things. And we, and we do vary from person to person on that. So some people I know are more productive later in the day or in the evening sometimes. So I know we're not one size fits all there, but that's part of being wise about how you structure your day. So I think those are the most, most salient points. And then of course, many of us have got, you know, client meetings, which are sometimes flexible, sometimes not. I know plenty of top producers who, will carve out certain days in the week when they don't face clients with you know, typically Mondays is the most typical day, but you know, things like that, whether, you know, so you might have one day where you just work on the business. So that's a very useful strategy as well, as well as having a day typically in the week, probably usually on the weekend where you don't do anything remotely to, to do with business, just a day to turn the brain off. So, I mean, those I would think are some, some daily habits and strategies that, um, that can be helpful. And then knowing, I think one of the things I want to say is also knowing or understanding really that um, our energy level is like the, the life, the battery life on our mobile phones. It, it wanes as the day goes on. And I think it's really good to understand that, that we're just, you know, well, especially in terms of sometimes how do we sabotage our goals towards the end of the day? Because we just don't have the, the energy to, to resist whatever it could be, whether it's binge eating or just, you know, habits that aren't helpful, or it might just be negative thinking because we're, we're knackered. <laughs> um, but, 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 but just being more, you know, again, that 1% philosophy of just being more aware throughout the day about what we can do to improve and what we're doing right. Yeah. And <laughs> as you were saying that I was, I was sort of thinking of myself and thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm great until, uh, you know, a certain point of the day of, you know, making sure that, you know, you, you, you eat well, for example, but <laughs> after, after I've put my kids to bed, there's guaranteed to be a, 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 you know, half a packet of biscuits missing, um, after that. So, um, because yeah, it's, it's depending on what you've got going on in your life and your business, what, what phase of life you're in, what phase of business you're in, you're going to be dealing with different challenges and that requires different energy. You know, I've never been a morning person, for example, but now we've got two little ones, I'm up at 5.30. Mm. My word, that was hard. But I've had to figure out ways of dealing with it and you know, I'm still learning. And, I'm, and yeah, I think there's so much in it around that sort of 1% and, and really not beating yourself up if you don't get perfect every single time as well because that's the thing so many people on diets, they'll go on a diet and they'll do really well for a week and they'll have one biscuit and think, oh, that, that was all pointless. I may as well just eat the packet. Well, and you make another interesting point too. Um, well, I, I thought it was best put by a guy, a guy called Marshall Goldsmith who's written various bestsellers about getting where you want to go in life, but he calls it the high probability of low probability events. So whether that's getting stuck in traffic or weather interfering or somebody in the family getting ill, but just you know, it's, it's so it almost inevitable how often that will happen. And yet when we plan our days, we never, of course, plan for any of those things. And as you say, though, we, we overreact with our frustration. And it's easy to talk about even now as if somehow I'm immune to it. But I do think it's good to, again, 
to, to keep that in that awareness really, really high up so that we don't over, like I said, overreact negatively to the almost inevitable likelihood that the no day is going to go exactly as planned. Now, I, I, I can't bring you on without asking you a few questions around referrals because you've literally written the book. And as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, a very, very favorable um, testimonial from um, Brian Tracy. Now, did, how did that come about, first of all? Well, that's what's funny. I asked him. <laughs> and so every once in a while, yes, fantastic things happen because we ask. Simple. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I mean, if I added any color or perspective, I would simply say that he, there were lots of well-known authors that I contacted, you know, quite a few of whom I never heard from and, you know, a few that were, you know, got back to me, but were whatever doing writing another book or were just swamped and said they wouldn't have time to read it. So there were plenty of no's and, you know, people that ignored me, but he's one of the people who did. And, and, and yes, I, I'm quite sure when I wrote to him, I also personalized my message because he'd been a big influence on me in my early years when he was much more popular and better known. And, but, but really that was it. And so the, there is a moral to the story that just so long as you don't get too bent out of shape about, as I said, about the fact that plenty of people will ignore you and not get back to you. Some people are going to say yes. And is there an irony in there around sort of how you approach referrals in that maybe a lot of people just don't ask either enough or in the right way or at the right time. Well, that's absolutely the, the case. I mean, that was, I think that was one of the frustrations for me that built up over the years was that, yeah, of course, the more doors you knock on, the more opportunities you get. And yet, I don't know. And yet it clearly scares a lot of people to, to think about. And that's one of, the, one of those funny things that there's this sort of warped fear that people have somehow that, uh, well, it's an irrational fear somehow that if we actually ask and are good at it, then the next fear is, oh my gosh, how am I going to handle all this business? I better not do it. I'll, I'll save that one. Um, and I'm really not trying to be funny. I mean, I think that's actually quite a common train of thought. And um, but again, it's another way we limit ourselves because the, the results are in front of us now. We have what we have because of the actions we've taken. I think uh, well, here's another key thing that's, that makes a big difference is is resourcefulness. So I think, you know, that there's less fear that the people that get to the top have about that prospect because they think, well, I'll figure that out as I go for the most part. I mean, they don't get too overly cautious thinking, well, I better make sure I've got all my back office systems sorted and that I've got, you know, hiring processes all teed up so that should I need three extra people, they're going to be there. I mean, obviously there are, there's going to be times when that's sensible, but again, 99% of the time, these are things to worry about once things actually start happening. And most of the time, people don't actually take the initial action to even get to that point. Now, if, if the answer to how to get re referrals was ask more, that would have been a very short book. So what, what other things do you help people when it, to, to, to think about or, or a process that you help them develop around generating a regular uh, flow of referrals that goes beyond the simple ask? Well, firstly, yes, you could just go ahead and ask. However, most people's experience of us in business is average and no one recommends average. So first off, yes, we, we truly have to do something that is above and beyond. It's tricky because we overrate ourselves. So we assume that everything we do is above average, even though if we take a look around us and all of the experiences we have doing business with everybody else's business, we know that not to be true. 
So that's the first hurdle is we have to truly earn the, you know, the, real, the expectation that people will recommend us. And then, and then the other pieces to the puzzle are most of us are too vague about what we want. So if we do ask, we say, well, you know, if you ever come across someone that could benefit from my services, definitely please let, you know, give them my contact details. Well, that, that works about 2% of the time. So, you know, the, the most, one of the most important things about getting referrals is being, is spelling out, I want to meet this specific person. I want an introduction to your best contact at this company. So that's, and that's an area where, Again, very few people are, are, are effective. Most people think logically, unfortunately, that if they cast a wide net, that they'll have more success. And it doesn't work that way with referrals. That's all I can tell you. It doesn't work that way with referrals. Logically, you would think it would make more sense. If I cast a wide net, I, I should catch at least a few fish. But when it comes to referrals, that doesn't work 98% of the time. So that's another key piece. Um, so again, even to the things I've already covered, rule out most businesses doing a, a far better than above average job and explicitly clear about what they want. And then the other two steps, I mean, are important um, and get no airtime. And so one of those next steps is that, again, 98% of the population has no idea how to make an effective introduction. And we assume that if, you know, if I ask you to introduce me to Mary Jones, that then I'm all, everything's going to be good to go. But the problem is, is most people don't know how to make a good referral and what they say doesn't work. Well, most if they, if they say anything at all. So, so my point is, is moving forward. If you want referrals, firstly, yes, you you need to be a bit more clear that you've earned it. When you ask, name a name. Tell this person this is this is the person I would like you to introduce me to. And then the third thing is, is assume they don't know how to introduce you effectively. So take charge of that. Those are the things. That's the biggest paradigm shift. Take charge of. of of, of, of asking for what you want and not hoping the other person will take two weeks off work and think about think about it because of course they're not going to but also help them with how that introduction is best going to be made to ask them you know what, how would you be most comfortable introducing me that's the, my favorite question well what would be the best way for you to connect us get them to tell you what to do and if it doesn't sound very effective well then talk to them about it and say well that's a good idea we could do that and then you might and then you say something like well you know what other of my clients have typically done when they've introduced me is, and then you kind of tell them what you think would be the best way to do it. And then it's also to back that up in email because, you know, people obviously's retention of, of information is going to not always be great for, for many reasons. So therefore put it in black and white after the fact, um, in, you know, in a simple way to say, you know, I really appreciate you introducing me to such and such a person. And, you know, and then you say something like the easiest thing, to share with them is, and then give them something they can copy and paste. And um, I mean, they can always change it. But again, that happens about 5% of the time. Very few people will do that because they're busy. <clears throat> and what you put is going to be just fine. Absolutely. So you make it easy for people. You spell it out. You work with them on how that introduction is going to most be effectively made. And then the last step is just keeping control of it. So I'd say to you, you know, Adam, um, you know, when should I get back to you to see if Mary's interested? And that way you tell me what to do. And if I put it in an email, I might say, um, and Adam, uh, is it a reasonable time frame if I drop you a line in a couple of weeks to see if Mary's interested? And by the way, I wouldn't change any of this language much because it, it is pretty effective. But in an email, you, you make it a rhetorical question. Is it a reasonable time frame if I get back to you in a couple of weeks to see if Mary's interested? And you won't reply to that, generally speaking, which is a bit odd. I don't quite understand why that is, but people don't reply to it. But it doesn't matter. That way they've seen, okay, Matt's going to get back to me in a couple of weeks. I better get on it. And, and what I really like about that approach is that in order to get more referrals, you have to go beyond someone that just asks, but you also have to stop them having to think too much. 
you're training them. Exactly. And I like, I, I love that. I love that approach. I think it's, it's simplistic yet. It's not what everyone does because it's, it's actually maybe it's, it's not, it's difficult to implement without first of all, realizing that because most people don't, they sort of think, yeah. well, if I do a good job, I'll get referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, that there is the appreciation that you're asking a referral from another human being and they have their own shit going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it's, I, I, I mean, I, I can't think of, I mean, it's only four. I mean, I narrowed it down to four words, the referral process and who, how, and control. And there's no way it could be made any simpler. And, there's, and you really can't skip a step in this day and age. Again, ninety-eight percent of the time. So it's um, so, so that kind of goes back to where we started. So hence my growing frustration over many years of thinking, well, gosh, you know, this really does work for people. I, I just wish more people would put it into practice, and uh, and then connecting the dots to saying, okay, why aren't people doing anything about this? They've just paid me to coach them for six months on this system and other things, but that was the the, the foundation of it all. And, uh, and so it just got me thinking about, again, how we get in our own way, because I know that deep down these people wanted to grow their business. And yet that was the scary part. They became more competent with a better system, but they just didn't really use it that much. Or then they certainly didn't get out of their comfort zone by asking. And that's another piece, the interesting piece to this is asking people that intimidate you, asking them because they're higher up a food chain or they're more, quote, successful. It's a, I mean, again, that's a wonderful habit to get into so when i coach people i you know one of the actions that we 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 acquire typically about three months in is three stretch asks a week three you know and and, and again there's no point fooling yourself on this you know it's a stretch ask because you can feel the butterflies in your stomach (laughs) that's the criteria otherwise you're just fooling yourself yeah do do something every day that you know that scares you that, that pushes you outside your comfort zone because that's where you grow but don't try for that big home run just try for the 1% because that it's the gentle push, 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 push over time consistently that gets you to that level that you ultimately want to go and, and join the ranks of the, the, uh, the, the, the people that you look up to and think are a stretch ass because so all of a sudden you become somebody else. Yes. And, and you make, and it is a great point. And it's funny because it's funny hearing you say it versus me talk about that 1% thing, because it's true. Sometimes when you're hearing it, it just sounds so unexciting as if to say, oh, wow, you know, a big deal, like a percent, you know, and yet then that's where knowledge can be powerful when we keep it stuck in our heads. So there's also the very common um, concept that we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but, but underestimate what we can do in three years. And that's what I love about, again, talking to people on podcasts that have been very accomplished in certain areas because, because that's how, what they've done. That They've all, again, slowly but surely gone, gone in really, really impressive places, but it hasn't happened quickly. And um, I think the more that's reinforced in our brains, then I think the more willing we are to persevere saying, well, that's just how it goes. And again, it is silly because we've all been there. I mean, we all when we were 11 started playing, you know, learning new foreign languages or playing new sports or playing new musical instruments. And we know again, how bad we were when we were 11 and 12 years old. And if we had got any good, we were much older, 15, 16, 17, before we got particularly good. Well, you know, the business strategies are exactly the same. And uh, for some reason, I don't know, we seem to forget that or think that somehow there's good, maybe there's a shorter cut. Now we're older. 
you know, just, just watch little kids. None of us could walk <laughs> at one point in our lives, but we learned. We did bits and pieces, but you just cannot remember what it took to sort of learn that. And my, my yeah, my kids are, be, are becoming some of the, the the most valuable teachers that I know. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. You know, mm-hmm. along this sort of thing because they don't have that negative talk. They just keep going and they treat, keep trying. They'll fall down. They'll get up. They'll fall down. They get up. And it's it's a beautiful way of seeing things happen in front of you. Yeah, it's been a fascinating conversation, but also there's that, as I said in the introduction, that that mix of, um, you know, mindset, but also practical application of it that that I think is great about what you do. For anyone listening, what's what's the perfect kind of person that you help, and where should they go if that is them to find out more about what you do? So my podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. It's called The Road Not Taken. It's probably easiest to follow. Besides going to iTunes, you can go to my website, which is matt-anderson.com, matt-anderson.com. And obviously there's information there. All the podcasts are on the, on the website, but then there's also information about uh, other services I have in terms of speaking and uh, training and things like that. I'll also leave those links in the show notes. So they'll be very easy to find there. So um, Matt, again, thank you very much. And as I say at the end of these, just wish you happy fishing. Yeah, thanks, Adam. It's been a pleasure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please help spread the word by telling a friend or simply subscribing and leaving an honest rating and review. It not only helps the show, but it also helps other business owners find the podcast so they too can start to catch more clients. So thanks for listening and see you next time.